We're going to start um, a new uh, book of the Bible going through, 1 uh, Corinthians, and we'll, we'll get through uh, probably about nine verses today, and we'll just take our time going verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians, and then, and then 2 Corinthians following that. So we'll be in Corinthians 4 a while, but we're glad um, to be able to gather today. Looking forward to this summer, a lot of stuff coming up. There's, I think, a graduation party for Joe Martinez next uh, Next Saturday, uh, or this Saturday, uh, if you're if you'd like to come to that, uh, they wanted to uh, um, just invite uh, our entire church family. So that's from one to four here next Saturday. If you want to stop by uh, for that, and then our connection groups will be back in um, in routine this week: Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, either of those nights, our groups will be meeting. Uh, so looking forward to getting back. Uh, in the rhythm uh, with that as well. Uh, so 1 Corinthians will uh, begin here in a moment, but just a little background about uh, Corinthians. So, so Corinth, uh, this city, was, was a city that had a reputation for several things. Like, the, 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 I guess the first thing that a lot of people, comes to people's mind with Corinth is it's known for a very sinful city. Um, a lot of people coming and going. It was, uh, it's about a four-mile stretch of land, um, but they have two ports that, that ships would come into. And because of the treacherous uh, waters on the southern tip, they would, they would bring the ship in, 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 uh, in on one of the ports, and then they would put them on, on wheels and try to wheel them across that four-mile stretch of land. Just because uh, sailing around that uh, southern area uh, was just really, really uh, treacherous and dangerous. And so, so a lot of people were coming in to Corinth. It was bringing a lot of people in. The population uh, was anywhere from between a half a million to three quarters of a million people. That was a lot of people, especially then, um, at that time. This was a, a really major city, major port city. A lot of trade was taking place. They had a lot of financial prosperity. Uh, they were very uh, multi-ethnic. Um, but in addition to that, it was known for a lot of sin that went on in the city of Corinth. In fact, in history, they would depict in like different dramas or plays, whenever they would depict someone as a Corinth, it would always be a drunk. And it was, you know, people would actually use, use the term Corinth as an insult to people. Like even if you weren't from Corinth, then they'd call you that. Like that wasn't a good thing. They were insulting you. Uh, because that was kind of the reputation that Corinth had. It was basically anything went in Corinth. As, as crazy as this might sound, um, it doesn't seem like there's really any city even today that, that we could compare to how bad the city of Corinth was. I mean, there was just so much blatant immorality. Um, there was, not to be too descriptive, but I mean, there was even... It, for many people there in that city, even things with children, like that was just kind of accepted, which is just horrific as that sounds. No wonder, no wonder when, so Paul is in Corinth, we think, when he's writing the book of Romans. And the, the book of Romans, the first three chapters, Paul is dealing with really the total depravity of the heart of mankind without God. And Paul is probably in Corinth. Like just seeing this blatant wickedness in the city as he's writing about the depravity and the sinful heart of man apart from 
God saving and giving man a new heart. So there's a lot of issues within the city. But what's important to know is this. That God had his church in this city. And in fact, there, there, there seems to be, and it's not like really, really clear. Like some things in the Bible, it's like, man, we know we can say without a doubt is crystal clear. This is maybe we're, we're alluding a little bit to this, but it seems as if in the book of Acts that Paul is fearful about going to the city of Corinth. And Paul was a tough dude. I mean, he got beat up multiple times and thrown out of the city. He gets up, he just keeps going. Paul's been in prison multiple times, like so, but, but, so, so for, this to, for this to cause Paul to be fearful, this is, is pretty intense stuff. But God comforts Paul by telling him, no harm is going to come to you, Paul. And he says this, I have much people in this city. That God was saying, even in the midst of, of this, this wicked city, even in the midst of all that's going on in the city of Corinth, it's amazing that God had his church in this city. And just like, the, just like Corinth, the city of Corinth needed a church, cities today need a church to be the light of the city. And, and, and God comforts Paul. He's saying, I'm with you, Paul. I'm with you in, in this city. So you see all of these, all of these things that, that really Paul's up against, but yet God calls him to go to the city of Corinth. And that there's going to be people in this city. Paul's going to spend about a year and a half in Corinth. And in this city, there's going to be people that believe. They come to know Christ. And it's going to be the start of the church here at Corinth. And, and the powerful thing that we see here is the same thing that we see today. That no matter the place and no matter how maybe people would look at it as, oh, that's not really a, a, an ideal place for the church. And, but yet the power of the gospel the power of the gospel can save the hardest, most depraved hearts. And we see that here in Corinth. We see that today. In fact, next week we'll, talk, we'll look at the, the verse where Paul says that the gospel to the Jews is a stumbling block. Because they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Generally speaking, the, the, a lot of the Jews didn't believe. It was a, a stumbling, it was offensive to them. And to the Greeks, to the non-Jews, it's this foolishness with all their intellect. They just thought this is ridiculous, the story of the gospel. But Paul says this, but to those who are saved, it is the power of God. And man, we see that with the gospel, don't we? That just like here in Corinth, this wicked city, a, a city filled with just the most depraved, sinful things that the human mind could even imagine. Yet God had his church in the city. And God had a plan and God had believers in the city of Corinth. Today we see that God has his church all over the world, in cities all over the world. That the gospel is going forward and when the gospel goes forward, it goes forward with power. And that's what we see here in Corinth. So Paul is, is writing a letter. This church has already been established now. We see that in the book of Acts. Paul's writing a letter to the Corinthians, to the church at Corinth. There's, in fact, another letter too that, that Paul kind of makes reference to and we're like, what's he talking about? We don't have that. And, uh, but this is a, another letter Paul's writing. Again, we believe the Bible is, 
is inspired by God, that God has given his church, given his people the scripture and the scripture that we do have. Uh, God has given us, he's communicated his truth to us. And so this letter, yes, it's penned by Paul or probably one of his scribes, people that he, he's dictating the letter to. And yes, it's the human instrument, but it came from God. It came from inspiration of God breathed these words. And it's amazing how applicable that this is to us today as his church in 2021. So let's jump in. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. So right away, he's given his calling card saying, I've been called by God. I have been called by God. An apostle is a sent one. As we see Paul, like he went all over preaching the gospel and planting churches and and we see like just this calling of God upon him. And he, he wasn't always a believer in Christ. In fact, many of you probably know that, that Paul was, was opposed to Christianity. He was a religious Jew, a religious Pharisee that just despised Christianity. He looked at it as this new cult that was, that was proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah but yet Paul didn't believe that and Paul would travel trying to put out the fires of the gospel of, of Christianity. And, and that all changed when he was saved on his way to persecuting believers. That God miraculously showed up on his way. A bright light from heaven shines, knocks him down. He hears his voice from heaven. Paul is then converted and Paul then preaches and proclaims the very gospel that he opposed. And Paul's reminding the church here at Corinth that he has been called by God. He has been called by God. And he's going to write to them. And, and really, Corinthians, is a, he deals with a lot of problems within this church. A lot of issues going on. But yet, he's going to start out this letter by encouraging them. He's going to start out by reminding them that he is called of God. He is an apostle. And then he includes a man. He says, and Sosthenes, our brother. Now, just a quick reading of that is like not, not really that spectacular. But what we think is that Sosthenes is a man that we read about in the book of Acts. So, so Paul comes to Corinth and he's, he's, he's there for about a year and a half. People are coming to faith in Christ. One of such people is a man by the name of Crispus. Crispus is a, a leader in the Jewish synagogue. And he becomes a believer. Like now he becomes a follower of Christ. Paul baptizes him. Well, this creates this huge ruckus with the Jews. The Jews are really offended at this. So they drag, they physically drag Paul to court over this. And there's a man by the name of Sosthenes who is really what would be equivalent of like a prosecutor. And, and, and he's acting on behalf of the Jews, trying to argue their case before the court, before, the, before the, a man by the name of Galileo. We read about all of this in the book of Acts. Well, Galileo's like, guys, deal with your religious fightings and disputings amongst yourselves. I don't want to deal with this. So Sosthenes didn't make the case that the Jews wanted to. And they got really, really angry. And they beat him up and throw him outside of the synagogue. Well, now we're reading about Sosthenes. As a, he's doing ministry with Paul. 
So someone that at one point in his life was opposed to the gospel that is arguing against it is now a believer. And he's now with Paul in ministry. And what is so amazing about this is this, that we see that in the people that maybe we ourselves were that person. Or maybe you see that with people that at one point in their life, they were opposed to Christianity. Either it was like super offensive to them or they just brushed it off as it's just foolishness. It's just for, it's just, it's just for this make-believe stuff for people that, that need a crutch in life. But yet you see some of those people who are the most opposed to it, who are now followers of Christ. And again, maybe that's your story before you knew Christ. But, but the important thing is this, that sometimes when we're sharing the gospel, and I know as a church, like we're passionate about, about giving the gospel to those around us, our coworkers, our neighbors, the people that, that we do life with. Maybe it's family members who aren't believers. It can sometimes get discouraging. And maybe you have those people that they're always like just trying to throw stuff at you and trip you up and, and try to belittle you or discourage you. And, and they're coming up with what they think are these clever arguments to try to disprove and to, to make you feel foolish. Keep in mind that many times the people who are the most opposed to the gospel are in fact the ones that are under the greatest conviction. So don't give up and don't be discouraged. Because again, when the gospel goes forward, it goes forward with power. And you never know. The very people that might be opposed to it now are the very ones that God is working on. Well, this is amazing. Sosthenes is now with Paul. Paul calls him a brother. He's a fellow believer. Some think that he's actually the scribe that Paul is dictating this letter to. That's speculation. We don't know that, but he's, we know for sure he's, he's in ministry. He's, he's with Paul now. He's a believer. Verse 2, he says, Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. He's calling them saints. This church that's messy. This church that has a lot of issues and problems. Partly because what's happening is the culture is shaping a lot of their beliefs and a lot of their thinking instead of the truth of God in his word. And, and, and even though they have issues, Paul's reminding them of their standing in Christ. Because you guys are, are saints. And a lot of times when people use that word, there's a misunderstanding of what the word saint is. They think it's somebody that's like this super spiritual hero that's on this pedestal. And, and we talked about this when we went through the book of Ephesians. Back several months ago. But a saint is anyone who's a believer in Christ. Anyone who is in Christ Jesus. That is your identity. You're a saint. You are a saint. And Paul's reminding them of their, of their sanctification. They're, they're being made holy in Christ Jesus. They are believers in Christ. And even though he's going to deal with a lot of the problems, a lot of the issues. He's reminding them. Of who they are in Christ. And he's talking and he's reminding them. You are the church that is at Corinth. Again, what would many would seem like an unlikely place for a church. But yet God had a church in Corinth. And we see the importance of the church being in the city. So there was this, this trend or this mentality. Not completely. But generally speaking about 30 years ago. 
where churches started leaving the city, they would leave the city, they would go to the suburbs or, or, or towns. And by the way, the gospel, there, there's no wrong place for a church, amen? We need churches all over, regardless of how big or small a town or a city is. But there was this trend, churches would leave the city, they'd go to the suburbs, and then, then we'd complain about how bad the city was. Well, the city needs the church, amen? And that's why I'm thankful God has placed us in Davenport. I'm thankful that God is, is allowing our church to plant another church in Rock Island. And may we be able to keep planting churches in the city. Because the church is called to be the light of the city. We're to proclaim the truth. And even here in Corinth, a wicked place, a dangerous place, spiritually speaking. And I'm probably physically speaking as well. But yet God, God had his church in this city. Just like all over the world today, God has his church in places, and it's for the proclamation of the gospel. So Paul's writing them. He's saying, you're the church at Corinth. You're the church of God, which is at Corinth. And he's reminding them their calling in Christ, that you're saints. That's their identity. That's their identity. We'll look as we, as we conclude here in a few moments in verses 8 and 9, he's Talking about that God is, is working in them and will confirm them to the end. Now, this is so encouraging. And, and I think that what we see in Scripture is a beautiful, um, harmonizing view of what salvation is. Because there's a, a great, great danger of this mentality of someone who has never experienced any working of the Holy Spirit, any change in their life, and, and yet... They hold on to maybe a prayer they prayed and they think, man, I'm good. I said this prayer, but there's like no fruit in their life. There's no change at all. And you know what? I don't think we see that as really a biblical salvation. Remember James who says, there's, he says like, there's no such thing as a, a dead faith. Like that doesn't save you. There, there's always going to be fruit that accompanies that. And so we need to look at some of those warning passages, and, and, and especially with people that want to hold on to a prayer that they said when there's been no, no evidence or no change in their life of the Holy Spirit of God doing anything in their life. And part of our, of our guarantee or our confidence in our salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. He gives us new desires. He gives us new life. The old things are passed away and, and we have new cravings. But yet I think what we see in like Corinthians here is that it's, it's a balance and a harmonization of recognizing that yes, we have new desires and we're a new creature and a new creation in Christ Jesus. But as Christians, we can still struggle with sin and we can still struggle with issues in our life. And it doesn't mean that we're not a follower of Christ. And again, I think when we look at these you have to see a harmonizing balance. Like, be careful of those that said, I said, I said a prayer, but there's never been a change in their life. Well, the Bible says dead faith can't save you. But then there's also times where maybe we, we feel guilt and, and feel like, oh, I don't really feel like I'm saved because maybe some sin that you struggle with. And again, I think we see this balance. Paul's telling the Corinthians, yes, he's going to deal with a lot of issues. But he said, you're saints in Christ Jesus. You are saints and he will confirm you. He, he, he will seal you and, and confirm you to the end. 
What an encouragement that that is. But part of the problem here with Corinth, as we're going to see, is that the church was allowing the culture to influence them. Instead of having the impact that they should have on culture. And that's such a struggle, I think, today. Because that's what we see a lot of times. We see this mentality of the church and believers. They're caving in under the pressure of the culture. Now, again, there's plenty of, of, of hills that I will not, I'm not willing to die on. Because I can't, there, there are things that people want to argue about and fight about that I just, I can't show and I can't prove from the scripture. Those are hills that we shouldn't die on. But there are, there are things that we do see clearly in scripture. And it's not popular with our culture today. In fact, it goes countercultural. And, and the culture will label and has labeled believers. And what it starts out with is shaming. Trying to shame you for believing the truth of God's word. Oh, you're not loving. You're not affirming. And so it's shaming. And then it will go to canceling. And eventually, eventually as believers here, even in the United States, it might mean that, that we pay a price and suffer persecution for standing on the truth of the word of God. And may I, I remind us, just like God comforted Paul saying that I'm with you, I have called you. And knowing God has called us means we can sustain difficult times. But it might mean that as believers, that we might pay a price in one of, or maybe all of those areas. Maybe you've already paid a price for standing for, for truth and righteousness. Like, you know, we need to do it lovingly. And I think that's where, like, it, it takes that wisdom, right? Of knowing, like, how can I stand for truth but not be a jerk about it? But also not believing this lie of culture where we're affirming things that God says is sinful and that God says is destructive. Because I would argue this, that affirming something that God says is sinful and destructive isn't truly loving someone. That's flattering someone. That's telling someone something that's untrue. And, and that's not really love. But what we see today, Christians all over are caving in under the guise of, I want to be loving and affirming. And again, as Christians, should we be loving? Of course. Of course. But we can't allow culture to dictate what truth is. And we can't change with the culture. As believers in Christ, we have a meaningful justification for what we can say is truth that will not change. And we can't cave into the pressure of our culture and society. But at the same time, let's be loving. Let's be loving to our community. Let's balance out with the scripture about, you know, standing for truth, but also being loving. Jesus said to his disciples, people are going to know you by what? Your love. By your love. Man, it's so encouraging to me when I'll run into people. And I think I shared this, this story a few weeks ago. I was wearing a Crosspoint uh, cross t-shirt into Menards. And, and this woman came up to me. She's like, oh, are you the church over by Walmart? She's like, I haven't been to your church yet, but I love your church because you guys do so much for your community. You do so much for the school and your neighborhood. And you know what? To me, like that was so encouraging. And, and I hope that, that we continue as a church to have that reputation of, of that we are here for our city. 
and we love our city and we love our community and we want to be involved and we want to meet the needs of our community. But also keep in mind, there's going to come a day where people aren't going to pat us on the back. And may, may it not be because we're not being loving with our actions, but it might just be that we're speaking truth. And to, to, to a culture that's drifting further and further away from biblical truth, the truth is going to seem offensive. And so I, I say all that not to you know, go off on this rabbit trail. I'm just saying, like, I, I, think, I think the church at Corinth here, they were being a little bit more influenced by the culture around them than they were being an impact to the culture that they were in. And, and Paul's writing to the, the church at Corinth, and he gives them this greeting in verse 3. This is a greeting, if you're familiar with Paul's writings, you see like a lot of times he'll use this greeting of, he says, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's some speculation that a lot of times he'll greet non-Jews or Gentiles with grace be to you. And yet when he'll address or when he'll say peace unto you, he's addressing Jewish believers because for the Jews, like they use that greeting a lot, peace or shalom. And, and so that, that could be, that probably is the case that it's both Jew and Gentile here in, in Corinth. But I think what we see is the importance of this word order. And I know you're probably thinking, man, we're going to take a long time going through Corinthians if we're going to talk about word order. But, but, but I think this is significant, right? That, that, that because of the grace of God in our life, because of God's grace, through Jesus Christ, we have peace. We have peace with God. We're no longer his enemy, but we have the, the peace of God. And that peace comes from experiencing that saving faith in Jesus Christ. So he's addressing the Corinthians in love. Now he's about, he's about to deal with, with, with some issues that they're having. In fact, a lot of issues that they're having that we're going to see. But but he's reminding them that he wants the grace of God and the peace of God to be in their life. Verse 4, he's saying, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. So he's thankful for them. He's letting them know that he appreciates them and he's thankful. And, and yes, he's writing because reports are getting back to him about some issues going on in the church. And Paul's... Just reminding them who they are in Christ, that he is called by God, and the need for them being in the city of Corinth. And he's saying, grace and peace be with you. I thank my God always on your behalf. He's thankful for these people. And again, I think we look at that and, and ask ourselves this question. Are we, are we truly thankful for the people God's placed in our life? Are we thankful for the other believers that are in, in our life? Express that to them. Express your gratefulness and your thankfulness for the people that are in your life. And that's what Paul's doing. I thank my God always on your behalf. Verse number five, he says that in everything you are enriched by him in utterance or in speaking and in all knowledge. Who's saying you are enriched. Another word for that is lavished. In other words, God has blessed this church tremendously. They are gifted. In fact, the Corinthians are very, very gifted people. Now, the problem that he's going to deal with is that, that they weren't using all of these gifts in a proper manner. 
But he's saying you are lavished or you are enriched by him in utterance and knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. That ye come behind in no gift. So, so he's saying like you're not really lacking in, in, in as far as giftedness. He's like while you're waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words like you guys are busy using your gifts. Now again the problem was they weren't using them all the time and, and properly. But he's saying you're gifted and you're busy while you're waiting for Christ. You're busy serving Christ. He says, so talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8, he says, Who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says God, that Jesus Christ will confirm you unto the end. Confirm, he's talking about he'll keep you or sustain you. It's actually a legal term that, that they would use in, in the court of law for a transaction being completed. He's saying Jesus Christ is going to confirm you to the end. That he who be, has begun this good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. Now again, keep in mind this is a messy church. There's a lot of issues going on. But he's reminding them that God is working in you. And God will be faithful to complete his work in you. Man, I take great comfort in that. Because there's times in our lives where it gets messy. And again, I'm not excusing like sin. I'm not saying treat sin flippantly. But, but man, there's times where man, we look at our life and think, man, we're pretty messed up. Like even as followers of Christ, man, we got a lot of issues we're dealing with. Just like the church here at Corinth. But what encourages me is that God is not done working in us and through us. And he's saying that you, that, that Christ will confirm that he will complete his work in you. Make no mistake about it, that God is not done. And, and, and a great assurance of our salvation is the fact that God is working in us right now, that God is going to complete his work in us. And that should bring us great, great hope and encouragement. Because man, there's times in life we're pretty messed up. There's times in life we, even as believers, do some really stupid things. Do some sinful things. Again, I'm not excusing sin. I'm not saying, like, I, I would strongly caution the person that, that, that treats sin flippantly. Because I think that part of, of an evidence of our salvation is we have new desires. And we want to please Christ. And we want to follow Christ. But there are times that, that we can still be deceived by sin. Because God's still working in us. We're being sanctified. And Paul's reminding the church at Corinth, even though there's going to be a lot of issues he's going to talk to them about and deal with them about. He's saying, Christ, you're serving him. You're waiting for him. He is going to, he's going to complete his work in you. And here's why. Verse number nine. Because God is faithful. Because God is faithful. By whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what the great confidence we have in our salvation? God is faithful. He's faithful even when we're not. He's faithful at times that we definitely don't deserve his faithfulness and his love. See, we're unfaithful. We're unfaithful. We're fickle. We're up and we're down, but yet 
Our salvation isn't dependent upon our faithfulness, but God's faithfulness. That God is faithful. And this is just really the introduction now. Paul, next week we're going to Next week, we're going to start in, in verse 10. He's going to talk about, man, there's this unnecessary division. I mean, you guys are following men, and, and you're, you're, you're trying to claim that you're a follower of this person. And, 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 and Paul's going to deal with this unnecessary division that's taken place in Corinthians. Because that's one of the problems, and that's a big problem. But before he's going to dive into these issues, he's reminding them, God is working in you. Yes, there's some issues that... that that, that, that you're going through. There's some issues that need to be addressed. But he's reminding them that God is faithful. And that God is still working in them and through them. And I don't know where life has taken you up to this point right now. Maybe you, you're here and you truly are a follower of Christ. But honestly, where your life is right now, it's really not where you wanted to be. And it's not even what you've envisioned that it would be. Maybe some of that is just because of things out of your control, things people have done, situations in life. Maybe some of it, it's because of your own decisions. But I find great comfort in knowing this, that God isn't done with us, that he will be faithful to complete his work in us, that he will confirm us and sustain us unto the end because he is faithful, even when we are not. I want to conclude and just look at five things that we can take away from these verses. We already talked about them, so this is just repetitive. Um, and these are things we'll talk about in our groups this week. And I hope that you'll read through these verses in, uh, in Corinthians. Read through these nine verses this week. Meditate upon these things and allow the word of God through his spirit to speak to you each and every day. Number one, we see this. God places churches to be the light in the city. God has placed us here in Davenport, in West Davenport, to be a light to the city. And I love what God's doing in our church, amen? I love seeing that, 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 that God is, is bringing, continues to bring people to our gathering. And people are coming to faith in Christ. I just, I got a text message just this last week that someone that had been coming to Crosspoint for several months now, they met up with someone else in 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 our church that they knew they got together. They went, went through the gospel. And this person said, I'm ready. I need to trust Christ as my savior. And I love hearing things and seeing things like that. And we're seeing that all the time here at cross point. And I love that. And it should be encouraging, but let's also like, let's be encouraged by those things, but let's also recognize like, it's not time to like pat ourselves on the back. You know, there's a lot to do, not through our own strength, but there's a lot of needs in our area, in our city. Let's continue to be the light. Let's continue to be the light in our city. Because God places churches in the city to be the light. Secondly, to impact our culture, we must speak the truth and live a life of love. It's not one or the other. It's, it's both. Right? We need to sometimes speak hard things. Again, not, not being a jerk. And sometimes it's just knowing, having discernment and wisdom on like when to even speak and say something. But we need to speak the truth in a culture that is ever denying truth. We need to speak truth. But also, like, let's, let's have a life where we're actually loving and caring about people as well. Like, I don't think you have to pick one or the other. 
And, and sometimes, again, whatever someone's strength is, they want to just like zero in on that strength and only emphasize one. I think we need to do both. And again, speaking the truth is love, but let's also have good works like of that people see we genuinely care, that we genuinely care. I think both are important. Thirdly, when God calls you to do something, he's going to sustain you and strengthen you to do it. Again, we have indication. Paul's a little bit fearful about something here in Corinth, but God reminds him, I'm with you. I am with you. Now, of course, the Corinthians here, Paul's writing this after, he's writing a letter back to them after this church has already been established. But still, I think it's important for us to recognize that Paul, I mean, someone that we look up to is, man, used greatly by God. Like, he had human struggles and emotions like we do. And God reminded him, I've called you. And maybe God's called you to a difficult context with sharing the gospel, people at your work or people around you, or, or maybe just, just where you're at in this season of life, it seems difficult. But look, if God's called you, he's going to sustain you. He is going to strengthen you. Also, we see this, that sometimes people that are, seem like they're the most opposed to the gospel are the ones under the most conviction. And maybe there's people in your life right now like they're always just jabbing at you. They're always trying to come up with these, these clever questions to try to stump you. Just know it could be that those are the people that God is speaking to the most right now. And they're under conviction. Don't give up on them. Continue to pray for them. Continue to share the gospel with them. You never know. Paul, Paul says, and we'll look at it next week. The, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Yes, it can be a stumbling block and, and, and maybe foolishness to the unbelieving world. But man, when the spirit of God is moving and working in someone's heart, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And then lastly, there's times where we are not faithful to God, but he is faithful. He is always faithful and he will complete his work in us. That everything you face, everything you're going through, even maybe the things you've brought upon yourself, Look, God has a purpose in it, and God is faithful, and God is working in you. It's not a complete picture yet, so don't be discouraged. God is working in you, and God has a purpose for your life right now. And God will use everything that we're going through, everything we've gone through, for his purpose, for his glory. So don't be discouraged, because God isn't finished working on you and working on me. And we can all be comforted with that truth.